Welcome to the podcast of Dr. Michael Jacobs. We believe today's message will help you walk in faith and have victory now. You know, it's just wonderful to have this meeting. I'm just so thankful that we have this. This is really the biggest meeting that I have at this church where, you know, I'm, I'm assigned here. I'm not the pastor anymore. My son is. But anyway, we just uh, keep on doing these things because they're important. You know, there's just something. And, of course, there's people in this church. looks like every church I've ever pastored. Don't see the relevance in it. Never make preparation for it. We sell it for every year. We have it in October. <laughs> we advertise it. We tell you about Hand you, docu- you know, documents about it. And still people just regarded as not important so we're doing our part hope to God you'll do yours because you know you're going to receive with the way you give I don't mean financially that's true too but I'm not talking about that right now and I used to do the new members class myself and I would just tell all the new members if you just want to be a Sunday only person at my church that's the only thing you're going to be a Sunday morning person if you want to come Sunday morning Sunday night Wednesday night in my Bible school and my intercessory prayer group, if you qualify, if you're a member, we're not letting you come if you're not. <laughs> God bless you. But you're going to receive according to what you sowed. Oh, there went my notes. I need some help up here. Here's one of my sons helping right now. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Praise God. Yeah, let me see where I want you to go. I think I want you to go to Romans for a minute with me, chapter 1. And God has talked to me about this in this coming, this coming, this meeting before we got here. I mean, you know, of course, my want to would be angels all the time. But, you know, that's just me because of my affinity with them. Kind of, I could say, I don't know if I could say it that way, but that's what I mean. And they work with me whether I teach about them or not because I've created an atmosphere for them. I mean, me personally. And, and other people, if they know something, they could help me in a meeting, but if they don't know nothing, they can't help me in that room because they have no faith in what I'm teaching. So we have to teach them, you know, just ongoingly. I do things to test out what I feel like God tells me. He told me one time, some people don't pay attention to you. Don't let that bother you. All right? So I went to this one church. I won't mention the pastor's name or anything. I taught on angels first time I went there. Nobody said diddly squat to me. In other words, nobody acted excited. Nobody acted encouraged. Nobody said, hey, that's wonderful teaching. But I don't go by what people say or don't say. I made my mind up a long time ago. I think T.L. Osborne said this. I'm not moved by the cheers, and I'm certainly not moved by the jeers. I just keep on going on with God. So I did that myself. Tried to do it my best. Anyway, so, you know, when I go to a church for the first time, unless they have a problem, which I wouldn't know why they would, it evident they don't know anything about angels when they say, you really want to teach on that? Of course, I can tell them a lot of things like, it's mentioned 300 times in your Bible, one subject. I don't think there's that many scriptures on faith. Of course, the whole Bible is called the word of faith, so maybe I'm misrepresenting that a little, but not too much. Probably prosperity is the most widely known thing that the Bible teaches. In my opinion, although I don't teach on it constantly, I've taught it before, because my my ministry involves the supernatural it involves the unseen world so i've made it my business to understand the dark side of things which is demonic and how they disrupt people's lives try to kill them try to mess them up mentally try to mess them up emotionally (laughs) try to destroy them 
And then the angels that are for us, they're trying to preserve us and protect us and help us. And, uh, you know, we've got a lot to be thankful for. But anyway, I went and I did different, different subjects at this one church for about five or six years. And then I was going back, you know, I was asked to come back. and so thrilled to be. It's a wonderful church. And so uh, <laughs> I went back and the Lord said, I want you to teach on angels. So I said, okay, I think you're up to something. He said, you're pretty perceptive, Michael. I said, well, hopefully I am a little bit with you. He said, I don't want you to tell them you're teaching something new or that you've taught it before because you'd be lying if you, had, if you said that, that, you know, teaching is something new. It's not new. I already taught the people. He said, use the same illustrations you preached it the first time, same scriptures, same comments. If you've learned a little bit, you can add a little bit. That's basically what you normally teach at a church for the first time. And those people went wild. They acted like, man, I've never heard anything like this in my life, Dr. Jacobs. This is so good. I just smiled and said, well, glad, I'm glad you're getting something out of it, huh? Yeah, okay. But I knew I'd already told them that six or seven years before. So that proved to me what I, I thought about this a lot just in the traveling ministry. You know, maybe pastors don't think like that as much as I would because I'm in different churches every week, you know, normally. And some are just better churches to receive and some, some just throw it all back at me. <laughs> and I usually tell the pastor, please don't ask me back. I'm not interested. I haven't got time to waste my time. If your people aren't interested in growing, learning, me helping you, then what's the purpose of me coming? God bless all you wonders at what I'm saying. You understand what I'm saying, don't you? Pretty plain. You know, and even when we had miracles, they didn't even acknowledge it. Not that they had saying things about me. I'm not the healer. But I know how to get people healed. I'm not the deliverer, but I certainly have used that ministry in my life many, many, many times more than I could talk about in one session. But I wanted to read a couple of testimonies to you. We're going to get to Roman 111 in just a minute. But we're talking about impartation. To just to tell you some general things I've observed over my lifetime about impartations. You are right now, whatever you're doing, who you're married to, where you live, where you work, how you raise your children, how you deal with your finances, or anything else, it's all been put into you through impartations, first from your parents and grandparents, and then from other people that you ran with as friendship, or even more deeply, got involved with, you know, physically or something. So all of that's contributed to where you're at right now in life. It's just the way things work. It's just impartations is not just invented by God. It's just the way that we are as humans. And if we get the right people around us, you have better impartations than other people. You have a different kind of impartation. Now, my, my wife was really good with my kids, and she was a great trainer. And she said, don't lie, that's of the devil. And, you, and if you're not tithing, you're not going to sleep here tonight, so get your makeup on. <laughs> when they were young. I think they had a little fear and trembling about her. But, you know, we tried our best to raise our kids in God and make that the foremost thing we did. And a lot of times, you know, they had friends at school, went to Christian school. That didn't impress me at all. But anyway, nonetheless, you know, they want to go spend the night. So one time I asked Jessica, she's my daughter, right over here. She was going to go spend the night with a dentist and his family. So I called him on the phone. I said, hello, sir, is this Mr. So-and-so? Yes. I said, this is Pastor Jacobs. How you doing? He said, I'm doing all right. Uh, why are you calling? I said, well, I wondered what intention you had for my daughter tonight. I was told that 
She was invited by your daughter to come spend the night, and I kind of wondered what your thinking is. <coughs> Got real silent. I said, hello? Yeah, I'm still here. I think it just, he struck him dumb because nobody had ever done that. <coughs> I don't care what you are. If you can be the president of the United States or whatever, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, what is your plans for the night? And so after he told me what it was, I said, well, here's the thing. I don't know you. I'm not accusing you of anything. I'm sure your daughter's a very sweet young lady. I know mine is. And if my daughter says she's a nice girl, then I assume that she's a nice girl. But if you're going to go to a movie, you need to make sure my daughter calls me first because if she, I don't want her to see it, I'll just come get her at the movie and you can go on with your family. I think I stunned him so much, I don't think he ever got over that. I'm a daddy. I, I didn't just have children. I raised them. You know, just talking to you here. Anyway, so we're kind of a compilation of a lot of things. And that's when we get saved, then the word is given to us like, I think it's Ephesians, that let us be cleansed by the washing of the water of the word. So when you get saved, all you got, you, you got Jesus, but that's about all you know right then. You just know he wanted you and you needed him and you asked him, come in your heart. However you did, it's irrelevant. But if you prayed something like, Jesus, come into my heart and save me, he obeyed that and came. But then he's got to deal with us with all of our stuff we brought with us, all the things we've been involved in, good, bad, and ugly, and help us to grow up and get out of the worldly, my carnal mentality about church and about everything. Amen. So your attitude towards the words, what changes you, and you're reading it and then doing it and partaking of it and practicing it. You're practicing the Word of God in your life. And if you stay with it long enough, it'll become a part of you. You know, one verse, it's in Luke 6, 40 from the Amplified, says once the disciples fully trained, he'll be just like the Master. In other words, if you're not getting like Jesus every month, every week, every year, you're going backwards. <laughs> and when you go backwards, you're always subject to a lot of temptations that you could have turned down had you paid attention. But just talking, I'm not rebuking you. I'm just trying to get this off the ground. I've just about got the blades running on the helicopter. Hang on. Anyway, so, you know, impartations are important. And then we need to be perceptive. Uh, with some people in the church, I mean, I was as a pastor. I don't think it's your business to do that. Don't put your nose in other people's business. But I, there was a young lady in my church, real sweet young girl. I think she was about a senior in high school. And somebody said she had a boyfriend she's pretty close to. So I got her aside one day and said, hey, I hear you're dating some guy. Does he go to school with you? Yeah. And how long have you known him? I've known him a year. And I said, well, what does he think about God? I've never seen him at church. Why don't you bring him to church? And let me scan him. Beep, 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 what's that? Beep, 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 what's that? Beep, 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 what's that? But she didn't want, and this is what she said. Well, I really like him. This is what she said, and I'm going to tell you what I told her. He's a good kisser. I said, yeah, good kissers are helpful at the time you're kissing them. <laughs> but I said to her, honey, if you're a good kisser, you can train any man to be a good receiver. And he can learn from you. But what about his attitude towards children? What's his attitude towards healing? God could heal people. What's his attitude? Does he do anything with his life? Does he have a job? 
Does he have a car? Does he have a credit card? I could go on and on with this. She was so stunned she couldn't hardly talk to me. I said, no, I'm not, I'm not playing with you, lady. Listen, it's got to be more than a good kisser. That has its place in the marriage, but it's not preeminent. I mean, you don't know how they're going to treat you. How does he treat his mother? How does he treat his father? What kind of attitude does he have towards his parents? Or you? Does he love you or does he use you? We're not supposed to get that real, are we? I think so. I'm trying to save a young lady from a problem. I mean, she didn't want to hear it, and she felt insulted and left the church over that. I'm kind of like Dad Dufresne. I don't cancel too many people anymore. They all left. One out of a hundred will stay with me, you know. But I'm not even the pastor here anymore, so. But I do care about people. So if God really loves you, he's going to put a pastor in your life or the leadership of the church that would get to know you and try to help you in some settings that you may not be prepared for. All right. And don't count that as teaching time. That's just all free and postpaid. <laughs> I want to read a couple of testimonies here. Some of them are really wonderful. Let me see here. This is a lady that came to my meeting in, uh, let me see where this is at, Fremont, Nebraska. I think Pastor Alvin was with me just recently. And uh, this lady wrote me after I left, and she, she was in the meetings, and she had a son. And uh, I think he was about 21. It doesn't say here, but anyway, I'll tell you what she said. I'm the mom of a special needs son. I think he had cerebral palsy, wasn't it? And he's got one arm that's kind of bent funny, his hand and stuff. And uh, he looks, you know, he, he, you know, you would observe that maybe things aren't perfect physically for him. His name's Zachariah. His right arm had been very spastic his whole life. This is his mother talking to me here. Wrote it down. I've held on to him during praise and worship because he loves to lift his left arm in praise. And after prayer on Friday night service, so Saturday night, I noticed Zachariah's arm was loose and hanging more to his side. His fingers were not tight. And I could now hold his hand where I couldn't before. I asked him, does your right arm feel different? And he smiled big, literally from ear to ear, and said, yes, God worked on me last night. <laughs> he worked on me. And I told the whole congregation and him when I realized that he looked different. I said, let's let that keep working in you, son. Keep saying the anointing's working in you. And, Mom, you could help him. And everything. So that was wonderful. A really sweet young man. And, you know, you don't realize sometimes the things people go through. And I was told his dad really ran him down the road. And, and he's not he's his physical, biological dad, but they're not together anymore. And I can see why he kind of roughed him up, the son. Why would you do that to somebody who's got enough problem already? Yeah. I got answers for people like that, but I can't tell people. They would arrest me. <laughs> I'm talking to you here. You think I'm teasing you, but anyway. The other testimony is my daughter. I saw her at the last night of the meeting, I think it was. And I looked back and I said, now, who are you? She said, I'm her daughter. And the other boy was on this side of his mom and the girl was over there. And when I looked at her, I just felt something come out of me, compassion for her, like she is struggling about something. So I went ahead and preached that night. She said, the other testimony is my daughter. She came forward for your depression line. 
Dr. Jacobs prayed for her and spoke over her. That night at Applebee's, she had so much joy and was laughing so hard. And tonight she was the same way, laughing and carrying on. God is good all the time. I mean, that girl got touched. I don't know. I would say she's maybe 18 or 20. Hallelujah. Let me read you this one, then I'll read you this last one in just a second. I like people to give testimonies like this because I'm getting ready to do a book, a new book on healing. I'm not going to explain everything on it, but I'm, it's going to have a lot of these testimonies. I think I got about 300, I think, if I counted right, over the years. And I'd say only one in 10 ever send me something that happened. And tell me about it later. And I said, well, did you fill out one of my cards so I could remember all that? Because I'll read it in my meeting, and you'd be surprised how many people are sitting there, had something just like you. And when I read what God did for this young man, this woman, this marriage, this couple, whoever, they say, well, God could do that for me. And they respond then to me when I give an invitation. This lady, I was at, in Cookville, Tennessee at Pastor McMichael's church. He's in a different company than me, but he's a wonderful man of God. He loves me. I love him. And he is under Dr. Mark Barkley, and most of these preachers are connected there too. I think this pastor and his wife, pastor in um, out in the Northwest, up, I don't know if it's Oregon or whatever, but anyway, this lady's name is Crystal Crachunas. And she said, uh, she starts in talking about, my mom started me on a path of drugs and alcohol when I was nine years old. I started hard drugs around age 13. And in high school, I dated a drug dealer and friends. See, I tell you, people get around. That's what happens. And uh, she says, it was similar to, it was similar. Her drug she took was similar to meth drink because I mentioned that I had taken that. That was my drug of choice. If you lined them all up, what would you pick, Dr. Fat, right there? Anyway, and said, uh, a couple of days doing drugs and some point in the evening, I began to overdose, felt my body slipping away. My right side went numb had chest pain, remember sweating, asked people to take me to the ER, but everyone there was high and didn't want to go because they thought they'd get in trouble. Yeah. And so she said, I just laid on the floor to die. To tell the next part, I have to explain a few things. I was not raised in a Christian home, had no knowledge of Jesus. Now this ought to give you encouragement. If you know somebody that's really jacked, you know what I mean, jacked or messed up, (laughs) the way they think, the way they live, the way they talk, All right, this will help you. Let me see here. Where was I at? I was not raised in a Christian home and had no knowledge of Jesus. I would say say my mom believed in a God but was into astrology and tarot cards, readings. The year before a movie called came The Seventh Sign. I don't know anything about that movie. Demi Moore was in it, she says. And I went to see it with a few friends. It piqued my interest in the Bible and the end time. So I went and bought a Bible and read the book of Revelation. You know, pick a first book to read the Bible. <laughs> it's funny kind of when you read it, but anyway. And she said, the word revealed Jesus to me, and I, I can remember being high at parties. I've been there. You know, when I was saved too sometimes, I, I tried to break away, but I was still dealing with stuff. Um, the word revealed Jesus to me, and I can remember being high at parties, telling everyone what cataclysmic events were coming, and Jesus was returning. <laughs> To claim, to claim his people and a fight and fight a final battle. My friends made fun of me, me too, and laughed at me. They told me, we don't want you at our party. Stay away from us. You bum us out. 
I'm not trying to not bum you out. I'm just telling you what we were looking for is Jesus. We heard you got religious. I didn't get religious. I just found Jesus. What's the matter with you? Listen to me. I'm talking. Anyway, they didn't like that. She said, fast forward this. She was dying another time from an overdose. I called out to the Lord and said, please, Lord, save me. I don't want to go to hell. I can still remember my words very clear. Then she says, I knew there was an angel with me. She was going through some kind of changes and was keeping my heart beating. It was a few years before I surrendered and gave my life to the Lord fully. But the tiredness, the bouts of dizziness, sometimes blackouts, leg swelling, a trouble breathing, and intense fatigue. I was on hard tech medicine off and on, uh, heart meds, I'm sorry, off and on. Went to the ER multiple times through the years. Had to have my heart shocked back into rhythm. I have a friend, a personal friend, Gerald Relaford had that. His heart got out of beat. And I was at his church teaching. I said, Jared, why don't you let me drive? You, you seem like you're high on something. What's up? Well, my heart's out of rhythm, and it just affects me. I said, well, you need to get that fixed. Of course, they have to stop your heart and restart it. Anyway, she had this problem, too. Uh, let me see where I'm at. Um, I was on heart meds off and on, went to ER multiple times through the years. Had to have my heart shocked back into rhythm. Symptoms increased after getting COVID a couple of times. And since 2019, I've gotten so much worse. In May of 223, that was this year, Pastor McMichael, that's the pastor that held the meeting, 40-year anniversary for the church and celebration. I heard Dr. Jacobs, who spoke on angels. I loved his preaching. Thank you. <laughs> Let me see here. I knew angels were real. The Lord revealed to me that it was an angel assigned to me and kept me alive when I was a teenager. That night, Dr. Jacobs called for healing, and the first doctor call was for bone problems, to which everyone went up. And I stood there and prayed by my seat, and I called out to the Lord, Lord, don't you have a healing for me too? And right after, doc and right after that, Dr. Jacobs called for heart rhythm problems. And she ran up front there. She was a couple rows back. And I said, Crystal, what's going on with you? I'd met her and her husband in the process of being there with them. And I told him, he walked towards me, and before he even touched me, I felt a rush into my chest. My heart began racing like it was being reset. He then came, I did, and laid hands on her. She was crying and trying to laugh all at the same time. It was kind of different. I tried to sit up, but I couldn't. The rest of the night, I felt like I had a hand stuck in a, in a light socket, and I was so full of energy, I, I, I could fall asleep. I could go sleep that night. Then the next morning, I woke up, went for a run. I didn't know this part about her. She was a runner. She says, I, I, I was a whole minute and a half faster per mile than I'd been in years, and she's 51 years old. And said, my legs were not heavy. I was in awe. I believe he took a few days. It took me a few days to realize that I'd been healed. I also believe it was the same angel that reached into my heart that kept me heart beating so many years ago. I'm currently 51, and I've seen and known the faithfulness of God. I'm still running faster than I have in a long time. Anyone will tell you, I didn't understand that, but she says to me here, anyone will tell you to cut seconds off miles is a big deal. But I cut a whole minute and a half off my timing. Praise the Lord. I ask people that run, you know, for a living. They don't run for a living, but they run on, they said that's quite a bit for, Anybody, especially 51, has had heart problems. Anyway, just kind of interesting, I thought. Hey, aren't you encouraged by that? Now, I'm not the healer. I'm not the deliverer. I just know him. He lives in me, and he's told me to do certain things. 
Hallelujah. I'm going to read this other one, but I'm just going to save it. Maybe it'll be some time later in the meeting or maybe tomorrow or something. But okay, we're in Romans 1. That's where we're at. In, in chapter 1, verse 11 and 12, I have a whole book on it. I think my books are in the foyers. Anybody know that? Okay, they're in the foyer. It's the one um, divine um, impartations, divine rescues, where I talk a lot about Dr. Dufresne and me. And things like that. It's just, I think it's one of my better books personally. But anyway, I'm going to talk to you a little bit tonight. And then we're going to minister to some people. It says in verse uh, Romans 1, 11 and 12, For I long to see you, so I can tell from that he wants to personally be present with them. You know, you can get things from books. You can get things from watching, what do they call that, online stuff, podcast. I'm not real good with terminology, but you know what I mean. But you're never, you're not present. You're just watching, observing. You can get something from that, but you never get really, I don't think, the full fullness of what God wanted to do, unless you're physically present. Right. Even I believe in prayer closets. I've had, I have a lot of miracles happen with prayer closets that I prayed for, but still yet, there's something about being present with me that's a little different operation on me and them. So, but this is Paul. I long to see you that I might impart unto you some spiritual gift. To the end, or I would say re, re, uh, resulting in, that you be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. So this is interesting when you read that like that. Some people think I'm supposed to do all the believing and all you got to do is stand up here and let me slap my hands on you. That's not true. Now, that might be true in rare cases where you're just so backslidden and you just don't ever know much about God or you haven't, nobody's taught you or you didn't pay attention or you never thought it was important. Sometimes God will allow me to jumpstart somebody just to know that God's real so they can make a good decision. But normally it doesn't always help everybody, just every kind of a person. Anyway, but here's the thing is I use my faith to release what I have and you release your faith to receive it. See, I can't trade you out and do both for you. I can't receive for you. You have to receive for yourself. So it's important that we study this together and understand you have a role to play and I have a role to play. When that comes together and all you have to do is be a good receiver and then I release what I have, it'll go into you and it'll start healing you. Things like, looks like the little boy that had cerebral palsy. I think he was 21 or something. Is that right? 20 something? Yeah, it looked like he was 12 or 13. But anyway. I said, just let's keep believing that's working. And I tell people in all my meetings now, once I pray for you up here, if you're smart, you'll start talking about it to yourself. Thank you, Father, for putting that anointing on me. It's making me whole. Now, you may have a, a little symptom when you got to your car when you got home. That's the way the devil works to try to make you think you didn't get anything. But if you'll keep talking right, Father, I believed I received. I went up here in good faith to receive from you through Dr. Jacobs. And I believe I receive it and it's working in my body to complete the healing. You know, sometimes I've had instant things, but not always. I had a lady in South America one time. She got in the prayer line. I was doing a Bible school for five hours. We did 45 minutes teaching an hour break, then went back second, third, fourth, fifth hour. I don't remember which one of those sessions it was. And she was in the prayer line and said, I have a tumor under my armpit. And it's about this big. And I laid hands on her head and I said, now we're taking a break when I'm done praying for this group. Go to the bathroom, check yourself, come back and tell me what you felt. 
She came back, she smiled and said, my God, it dissolved. It's not there anymore. The time I got to the bathroom, there wasn't anything there but my armpit. Hey! <laughs> but we don't always have that kind of results. We can have it some, and it's wonderful. Hallelujah. I remember one lady I slugged in the stomach. I told you about her today. She had a half, looked like a half a grapefruit here. It didn't look like color, but it's not a tumor on her side right here. And it was about that much raised in the peak of it. And she said, God got anything for that? And I didn't say another word to her. I just slugged her in it as hard as I could. And when I pushed it, it just melted into her body and disappeared. She said, where'd that go? I said, I don't know, but don't look for it, lady. Stop that. You didn't want it, did you? Well, you're going to put it in a jar and show all your friends, are you? Come on. Catch up with me, lady. <laughs> Some people really need help. Yeah, I know uh, one of the famous preachers of old, he went into a hospital room, and a lady had a big tumor that had grown out of her mouth and attached itself to the side of her head like this. They said it was a couple pounds. And he grabbed it and ripped it off her face. In the name of Jesus, stripped it off, threw it in the floor in front of five doctors. They said, how'd you do that? <laughs> yeah. He believed God. I mean, he got into error when he's later in life as an older man. You got to think right. All right, we're talking about impartations. And really the word here, let me, the word gift in this, let me see, verse 11. In the Greek, this is what it means, a spiritual endowment. You know, I remember I taught this down at uh, Nashville Pastor Keith and Cynthia live there, and so does uh, Alvin and Victoria, but I think it was in your church. I taught this a long time ago, maybe 15 years ago or further back, and there was an elderly woman whose husband had already died and she was living, but then when she passed away, she, uh, what do you call it, endowed the, what's that called there, Belmont? Belmont. Vanderbilt University, like $350 million. Brother, you could build some buildings out of that. (laughs) We built a world-class one floor of you, you could have a million invested just in equipment yeah. to study cancer and study research, have a world-class guy or lady that runs it, and then a lot of associate ministers or professors, yeah. we call them. But he said, I long to see you that I may impart unto you out of my spiritual endowment. And also it says it's a miraculous faculty. In other words, things... God is saying to come through people that are miraculous. As you observe it, you say, man, that's a miracle. Yeah. <laughs> and then it says it's a deliverance or a rescue. I remember I had a lady in my church right here in this church. And she was with me quite a while. She got offended over somebody else's offense and left me, which I thought was stupid. Still do, by the way. And she had problems. Donna will remember this. She pulled out half of her hair in her head. She would just have fits, and she'd just grab her hair, hair and pull it out by the root, and they'd fall on the floor like you'd give her a haircut. That lady had a problem. How many know she's got a problem pulling her own hair out? That's demonic. So I prayed for her. I don't know. Donna could have been present with her. I'm not mentioning her name, of course. But she stopped that. I didn't even slap her hand. I just said, come out of her in the name of Jesus, you foul devil. And she stopped doing that. And she, her hair grew back. But she had big patches where it was bald. She combs her hair around, you know, when she goes out so people don't realize something's wrong with her. It was just a mental thing. The devil's just crazy, and he'll make you that way if you let him. You don't let him do that. So anyway, sometimes people get delivered or rescued. And then I want to thing here, and then I'm going to give you some more verses here, but 
Let me see here, down here in verse 11 and 12. Here's some other renditions of this scripture, other scriptures. I didn't mark them all here. One says to give you fresh strength. Impartations will give you fresh strength. So if I minister at the altar tonight, maybe for physical things or whatever I feel like I need to say, you could be get fresh strength for that. Get strength to overcome that. Yeah, talking to you. You know, I try to be very cautious in how I present things. I don't know if anybody appreciates it. I appreciate it. I don't ever expand something that's not real or say it in a way that in any way would flatter me because I'm not the healer anyway. I'm just the FedEx guy. But it says it'll give you fresh strength. It'll make you strong. That's another translation of verse 11 here. And it says it establishes you to be steadfast. That's what these impartations do. They give you the ability to be steadfast where you're once not so steadfast. So that would mean you get delivered from things that irritate you or drive you. You know, you may be normal in a lot of areas, but this one area here, I'm not mentioning it right now, you're just goofy. <laughs> you don't act normal. You don't act like a human being. Why could God clean up your life and still leave this in your life? He didn't. You have to take authority over it. And, you know, I don't have any special authority other than what you have as a believer. Now, I'm anointed in my ministry. There's anointing that goes with that. I didn't ask for it, but it came with it. So I appreciate that. All right. So we just, we said this already. I'm saying it again, you could read books and listen to tapes or listen to audio stuff, and that's helpful. Don't quit doing it. But still, it doesn't bring the level of impartation that God really had for that. And so that's important. I'm just to read some of the things. This is in my book. I'm reading out my notes here. Uh, the, the word for a gift means a spiritual endowment, a miraculous faculty, a deliverance or a rescue. Paul was imparting out of his endowment from God to others. It was from a supernatural source, which was God. It was an, of a miraculous faculty. It provided deliverance and a rescue for the people to whom he imparted to. Importation. We know the guy listened to him preach. He preached all night. You think I'm long-winded. He preached all night, and the guy fell out of a window on a second-story barn or something and killed himself. And Paul just walked over to him and bent down and prayed for him. He lived. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> Other people that were trying to go to sleep should have really paid attention after that. Impartations come to us through men and women of God and help us take us to the next level. That's really what I'm doing, in essence, what I'm doing for God, trying to help people get to the next level and trying to get there myself and be a forerunner in that area to get them to the next level. Yeah. Or it says here, this is what I wrote, said these impartations can give us new equipment. I think the vision that I had in uh, 1999, I was standing right there, but I left my body and ended up over here somewhere in this building, but it wasn't that door. I, there was a door open, but it was dark inside there, and the Lord said, put your foot in the inside of that, and I did, and it lit up. There's a big angel standing there, eight foot tall. It reminded me of the, what is that guy called, The Rock? Is his name Dwayne Johnson or something? The right person? He's Samoan. Yeah. We went to Samoa, Dennis and I, and the ladies that got on the plane to go wherever they were going, they looked like NFL, you know, <laughs> linebackers. They couldn't go through the aisle. Their hips were hitting all the t things. <laughs> Huge people. Not making fun of them. They're just big. Yeah. Not just fat. They're just big. Yeah. 
Anyway, that angel reminded me of Dwayne Johnson. He didn't look exactly like one day had the same tan on him or whatever. <laughs> but he looked like he was built like him. And, you know, I'm not being funny, but I, you, you want to say, you've been to the gym lately? What's up? You know, but I didn't do that. But he just looked like he could handle himself. He had muscles on top. It's the only angel I've ever seen like that. And he said, Michael, they always call me by my first name. And he went like this. He was standing in the doorway right inside. It went lit up. Then he's standing right there. And I looked at him and he said, Michael, you have to come into your new room and you have to learn to become skillful with the equipment in this new room. See, when they talk to me, I pay attention. I don't know about everybody else. I'm not sure anybody pays attention sometimes. But I pay attention. And when I get away from that moment, I don't say, hey, hold that. I'm going to get a piece of paper and write that. I don't do stupid stuff. But if he handed me a piece of paper and pencil, I'd say, hold up. <laughs> but when I came back to my seat and went home from church that night, after he told me that, I wrote all that down, a piece of paper, and put it in with the prophecies I've been given. And I think about it a lot. Especially the angel, the, this one angel that came to me, there's a whole lot of them, but the one that did the talking. 1983, in the basement of a Baptist church. Well, it wasn't really, it was a Holy Ghost church then, became that. And that angel said, Michael, we're excited you're teaching about us. We've desired to be involved in the body of Christ, and they won't let us. Then I was, super, I was supernaturally grieved when he said that. They won't let us. I didn't know what that meant, but I knew what it meant, and I didn't fully know, but I, I rehearsed that for four months. Did you tell the people that night when you preached about it? Heavens, no, I'm still digesting that I even saw that. And that the angel, and I left my body, came out of my body. It's a long story. I won't take you there right now. But the main thing is the angel said, we've desired, and he's speaking to a whole room full of angels bigger than this sanctuary. <laughs> and they were all looking at me. And just looking at this one, he was talking to me. He didn't tell me his name. I didn't ask. He said, Michael. Went like this, meaning he's in the front of the line. All these angels are behind him. I can see them. He said, we're excited you're teaching about us. Think about it. God would allow me to see that. And here, I had no, I had no inkling that that was going to occur to me in any of the visions I've had. Never. <laughs> but they came. When I got older, they came more frequently. And I still never told all of them yet. But just listen, I'm just paying attention to things. Hallelujah. There's two angels came in 2008, eight angels total in the vision. I was in this church. I was up in this area. I was out in the spirit for, my wife said, about 35 minutes. And I said, well, I was talking most of the time when I was out. I was talking to Jesus. You didn't hear me? Nope. You were laying there like you were sleeping. You weren't snoring. Your mouth was closed. Your eyes were shut. You just laid there lifeless. I said, that's because I wasn't there. I went somewhere in the spirit. And I said to Jesus when I first left my body, when I finally landed somewhere where that is, I don't know exactly, but I said, is this heaven? He said, no, but pay attention. I want to show you something. All right. The eight angels flew in. They knelt down four on one side, four on the other. They looked at each other. They didn't talk to me, and I didn't talk to them. A lot of times they'll talk to me if I need to hear them say something. They come to bring me a message from God. They come to give me some kind of answer to something or to talk to me, but it's not a major conversation. They're not going to go to Starbucks and eat scones and drink lattes with me. I'm being real with you. You should never treat things like that like that. You have a whole, I call them holy moments. And that's the reason I didn't want to have to start sharing stuff like that. 
Then I was 70. I was 14 years ago. I'm 74. And I said, Lord, I really don't want to do that. He said, well, you better. I said, I'm sorry. I don't want to do it. And, you, you probably, and he said, well, why not? And I said, you mean you don't know? He, he kind of joked with me that time. He said, yeah, I know. I want you to say it out loud. So I told him why, and he didn't change his tune. He just said it's either that or else. And I realized when he said that, he's not threatening me, but the verse that came to me is in the book of Proverbs. He that uh, is rebellious towards the Lord, the real Hebrew there says an evil angel will be sent against him. These are demons. So I, I was, that, that scripture went off in me. He didn't give me that. I knew what that scripture said. So when he said it's either that or else, I said, oh, I'd be glad to do it. Because I knew I was going to get in an argument if I didn't say that. He's going to stay on me about that. Or maybe just let me go and let me go on with my good dumb self and never learn anything anymore. I don't know. I don't know everything about God. You certainly don't either, do you? I don't think so. But I'm learning piece by piece. And I've had to learn to be more sensitive when he asked me to do something I really didn't want to do. I'm not trying to rebel against God, but you know, when God asks you to tell some of the most intimate, personal moments you've ever, most of you probably never seen an angel, period. And I'm not bragging that I have. I didn't ask for this. I didn't ask to see anything. I never have. Even I was full blown drug addict. I saw plenty over in that other realm, but when I got saved, I never asked to see anything. Because I found a verse where Jesus said, blessed are they that have not seen and yet believed. That's what I was trying to do, believe God. Anyway, I better get off this. I'm going down a trail. And I wrote down here, sometimes there will be callings, anointings, and mantles. I haven't got time to explain all that, but everybody has some kind of an anointing. Not a five-fold ministry, not an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, or teacher, but maybe the ministry of helps. Would probably have a lot more in that group than they would the apostles. Sometimes there will be callings, anointings, and mantles. Mantles is like the anointing on you. That lie dormant. Because you don't have the right equipment, you haven't had the right things imparted to you that helps you get there. The impartations cause movement and increase, much like the chemical catalyst that causes change when added. I remember I used to do my car. I had cheap cars, and they ate up in Ohio with salt on the streets because we had a lot of snow back in those days. And it would eat right through my fender well if I didn't wash it out of there. I'd have a big hole in this where your tires go around and throw that salt back against your car. Yep. And if you don't get it out of there, it eats it right through. So you get Bondo. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a Walmart special, I think. I don't know. The blue light special. You put it on a piece of wood and you put this pink stuff to it, and it starts eating up really quick. And if you don't get it on your car in just a few minutes, you're not going to get it off that board. It's going to stay there forever. But you put that on your car and then you can sand it down and repaint it. But that's what I'm saying. There's something happens when you add certain things to some things in your life. It causes growth to come. It causes reaction to that to come. Maybe you didn't understand that before. All of a sudden now you're seeing things in the Word that you hadn't seen. It was there all the time but you didn't see it. I didn't either. Anyway, it's kind of interesting, I think. And I put, after an impartation, we're suddenly aware of or have a new sensitivity towards and enjoy a new accuracy towards the things of the Spirit. I noticed with every vision, it enhanced me. It took me forward a little bit. Some of them were more major in my life. Some of them were not as major. That's another subject altogether. I don't need to get into that with you. But some of them were pretty lengthy and pretty involved. And so anyway, now I was going to tell you about these two. There was eight angels came when I was in that other dimension. 
how many dimensions are there? Now, uh, Claude Jansen, you're back there. Didn't you tell me one time scientists said there's how many dimensions? At least 11 dimensions we don't know much about. Scientists know about it because they've done experiments or something. Just interesting. Yeah. This isn't all there is. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yeah, I want to see what all is about and go for it. But anyway, so it's important that we understand these things register to us and we become different. Actually, right here in verse 11, I'm going to get off of it in a minute for I long to see you. That word see you, I, God said to me, look up C, Michael. I said, S-E-E? Yeah, I want you to look. Because I thought, well, I know what C means. I'm seeing something. He said, look it up anyway. And it really means in the Greek to have actual perception of an object or a person. See, sometimes I was talking to people in my office. I remember one lady. There was a devil in her chest. I got up and said, I'm going to pray for you if you want to be delivered. If you don't, then I'm not going to be able to help you. Okay, go ahead. I laid hands on her head, not her chest. Commanded that thing to come out of her, and it broke. Left her. I've had that happen a lot of times. Not every time. I'm not walking around looking for devils in other people. But I was on an airplane one time flying along 40,000 40, 40, 40, feet. The stewardess got on and said, there's a guy having some kind of epileptic seizure on the plane. Is there a doctor in the house? Well, I'm a doctor, but a theological one, not a medical. And I'm looking around to see if anybody got up. The guy with flip-flops and shorts got up. I don't think that was him. He was about 16. He was going to the potty. I was on a little jet, had one seat on this side where I was sitting, and five or six rows behind me over here, there was two seats. And the stewardess went by again, and I went like that and hit her on their left shoulder. I said, I'm a pastor, and I know how to help people. If they want me to come pray for whoever's having this issue, I'd be glad to come. She said, wait a minute. They want you to come. She's whispering. I'm not. But anyway, <laughs> I don't know what she's thinking. Make it cozy for everybody. I didn't care what they thought. This lady wanted me to come. I got, and she was on the outside of the aisle, and she grabbed my hand. Bless her heart. She really made me feel great. Thank you for coming, Pastor. I said, yeah, let me get to him. His head's banging against the window, and he's slobbering. Stuff's coming out of him. He looks, his eyes roll back, and he said, like he's having an epileptic seizure is what it looks like. I don't know if it was that, but he was certainly having some malfunction. And I just reached across her and put my hand on her head, and I didn't yell at everybody in the plane, now listen, I'm going to pray something. You need to listen up. <laughs> but I didn't go, let's pray like this. I said, in Jesus' name, I take authority over this thing. Command it to leave him. And he simmered right down. I mean, within two seconds. And I said to her, maybe you could take some Kleenex and, or something or a hanky and clean him up. I, I said, do you have a Bible with you, lady? No, we're Catholic. I said, that's great. Catholics believe in miracles better than the Pentecostals. <laughs> they do. Anyway, I said, I'll be right back. I'll give you some scripture when you get off this plane, whoever's picking you up. Or you look it up in the phone book and find a Christian bookstore in that city. Go buy you a Bible. And I'm going to list about eight scriptures for you to take. And when you get back to your hotel or wherever you're going, a relative's house, read these scriptures to him every day. You sit with him and read them. And he'll start becoming out of that. Whatever that was that got a hold of, it was the devil. But no, nobody applauded. Nobody said thank you. They didn't tell me to go to you nowhere either. I wasn't looking for that. I was trying to help him. That's the only reason. And bless her heart, that wife was a nervous wreck by the time I got back there, seeing that in her husband. Anyway, praise God, we just try to help people. Um, Sean was with me one time at the Chicago airport. I went in the men's room. And there's a guy standing at the, what do you call the, 
Yeah, this, the, not the urinal, but the big sink that's deep, but you put a mop in, and he's bleeding out of his nose every time his heart beats. Shoop, kashoop, kashoop, and he's starting to freak out. He goes, oh, my God, oh, my God. And there's a guy standing here watching him. I said, are you related to him or something? No, then get out of my way. And I just pushed him. I didn't care what he thought did. Listen, son, I'm going to pray for him. I'm a man of God. This is going to stop. And when I get out of the bathroom here, and I didn't stop to use the bathroom myself either, just for your information, <laughs> trying to take care of this kid. He's about 20 years old. He's freaking out. He thinks he's going to die there. I mean, that sink had about that much blood in the bottom of it, and every heartbeat was going, shoosh, shoosh. I prayed, laid hands on I said, listen, listen to me, I'm going to get you some medical help too. I went out, and there was a, late, a man coming by in a blue coat with a wheelbarrow, not a wheelbarrow. <laughs> well, <it's> a wheelchair. <laughs> yeah, we don't need a wheelbarrow for this one. <laughs> I said, you got a walkie-talkie? Yeah, you got a doctor on staff here? Sure. Call him, tell him I wanted to come check this boy in the bathroom. But these men, there was about 20 men, went in, went to the potty, and left. Nobody helped him at all. I, think, I wanted to say, what's wrong with you sissy men? Why couldn't one of you stopped at least and tried to help the boy? He's freaking out. He's lost so much blood. But Sean was waiting just an exit down, exit down. You know, whatever, I travel a lot. I'm thinking in terms of exits and entrance. No. Gate, one gate down. The time he got here, he was already stopped. He's bleeding out of his nose, and the medical guy was talking to him. So it all worked out. Hallelujah. Mm -hmm. I was talking to you here. Now, let me talk to you about something else. Let's go to Mark chapter 2 and verse 8 for a minute. Give you a couple examples of how things can happen in our life. Mark chapter 2. <clears throat> And this was what Jesus is preaching, you know, chapter 2, 1 through about 12. But I just want to pick this one verse out in verse 8. And it says, And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that, that so, they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why do you reason these things in your hearts? So he knew by discernment, spiritual discernment, that these people were observing him and they were thinking wrong. And he was trying to correct that. But it said, Jesus perceived in his spirit. He perceived something that you wouldn't notice unless you had perception. Well, it's interesting, I think. And then he spoke to the, you know, spoke to this man and everything. Of course, he got healed just a few verses later and so forth. It's just important that we see that. Some things can be revealed to us that need revealed. I'm not trying to be a hero. I'm just trying to help people when God tells me to do something. I was down at the mall in Nashville one time. My wife was driving. We pulled in there. It was five black girls, two against three, and one black man, huge guy, tall guy. He's trying to break them up. The one girl's pregnant. His belly is way out there, and the other girl's slugging her in the stomach as hard as she can. The girl that's pregnant is having a meltdown. I mean, it's like, you know, I mean, she could have just had a miscarriage right there on the concrete. I don't know. And I said, stop the car, Diana. What for? I said, I'm going to get out and help this guy. Stop the car. She stopped it, and I ran over there and got a couple of those girls separated. He had the others. He's a big guy. He could handle two or three, all teenagers. And there's people inside eating at Red Robin or something kind of, and they're eating their french fries and dipping them, looking out the window, and there's a guy, looks like he had a towel over his shoulder like he was washing dishes, standing at the door observing that. And I wanted to get in there and get on line. What is wrong with you people? What, do you want somebody to give birth on the sidewalk to a dead baby? Come on. What are you thinking? Nobody would help him. 
So anyway, me and my friend, the other gentleman, we got them separated. Then we heard the sirens coming. The police were coming. And so anyway, we went back to my car. And, but anyway, just talking to you, see. But I don't get, there's, when I was over here in Clarksville one time, there was a guy in a pickup truck. He was ahead of me, maybe one more car between us. The guy in the pickup truck behind me, the guy behind me stopped this truck, got a ball bat out, and was headed for the other guy. And the Lord, Lord said, don't get involved with this, Michael. Yeah. Right. So I didn't. I didn't tell anybody to do anything, go wherever they, I just, I just stopped my car and waited until they all got separated. Because somebody's going to get hurt with ball bats. I used to have one in my trunk. Oh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. I did, really. Thank God I never had to use it. But I, it's, it's a long story, I don't need to take you there. All right, so let, let's, let's see here. Let me see where I want to go here. Let's go over here. Where was somebody staying out there? First Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 10. I'm just going to give you one or two more scriptures talking about impartations and uh, <clears throat> to show you how, how sensible they can be and everything else. And I remember in my life, you know, I was a full-blown drug addict when I got saved. I'd been an addict for three years. I was selling dope and I was an addict. And my wife told somebody she was an addict, and she just kidding herself. She was never an addict. I said, quit telling people that, honey. At your best, you were just a play with it, girl. You're not an addict. Don't tell people that. Don't, don't do that to people. Anyway, praise God. So when I was a, an addict, you know, I had some problems naturally, but I got saved in December of 71, gave my life to Jesus. I was at a youth meeting. I was the oldest guy there. I think I was 21. All those kids were teenagers. And the guy, I don't remember what he preached, but at the end he said, I want everybody to bow your head and close your eye, and I want you to ask Jesus this question. So I said to myself, I said, okay, I'm going to ask whatever it is. He said, I want you to ask Jesus if you know him or you just know about him. So I asked him that, and he said, you don't know me yet. You thought you did because you came forward in a prayer line prior to this time in my life when I was a lot younger, like 12 or 13. Uh, but he said, you don't, you don't know me. He said, you need to come tonight, and I'm going to put your life together. And I was just so thrilled, and I got up and walked down forward with all the teenagers and prayed with the preacher, and I asked Jesus in my heart, and I meant it. And I was born again. And it took him a while to get me functioning fully. You know what I mean? Because you're an addict. All the people I knew were drug addicts, not play with it people. And our dancers at clubs, you know, just that's just where you get sometimes places you end up in you wish you had never went there. Anyway, just talk in a minute. Not, not being vulgar. I hope you don't take it that way. But that's just the way I was. I didn't know anybody that was normal anymore in my life. Nobody, they're all drug addicts, different drugs of choice, but they're all addicts, live like addicts. When you live like an addict, then you're an addict and you just become a very odd person. Those drugs just take you over after a while. You don't care about nothing but getting high. And so anyway, somebody asked me one time, I think they meant well, but they didn't know how silly they seemed to me. Did you quit doing drugs because you find Jesus? I said, I quit doing drugs because it was killing me. I died in the summer of 1971 in the farmhouse where I lived when I was a drug dealer. So I know what it's like to leave your body, and then I got put back in it, and then I lived on. I talked to Jesus about that later after I got saved. He didn't talk to me about it for a couple of years after I was saved. 
But he told me, I said, I saved you that night. I said, I thought that was you. But he didn't tell me it was him. He put me back in my body. Anyway, this is the thing. So I got saved December 71. I'll try to tell this as quick as I can. I've been going an hour, the clock says in the back. Just so you know, I'm watching it. What does it mean when the pastor or preacher watches the clock? Nothing. So. <laughs> anyway, I, I, was, I went with the people that lived on the farm with me, four or five other guys. I think there was four of them and myself. We drove a pickup truck or a panel truck. It was an old truck to California to find new people to get drugs from because we had some in Indiana at the time that we went to and other places we went to buy drugs and stuff. Not endorsing this, I'm just telling my story. So we went to California to get new people we'd know. We went out there and ended up in a tenement house and it was a bad place to live. But I don't know, some guy there invited us, there was five of us and we lived in this little tenement house but it was really a bad place, like a bad movie. You see, you go through the hallway and about every other light bulb is Busted out that shined, the, you know, whatever in front of the doors. Yeah. I mean, you expect anybody to just pull a gun and shoot you in the hallway. Yeah. It's just wild. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not trying to be wild. I'm just trying to get it together. But I'd had a dream before I got there that I was sitting on a toilet and shot dope and a cockroach went up the wall. And this was a dream I had when I was still in Ohio, you know, where I lived before I went to California. I woke up and I was freaked out. You wouldn't think a guy like me would be freaked out about a roach. But I was freaked out and wondering, what in the world does that mean? So I got to California, and I w there was five of us. We borrowed the fit from the guy across the hall. He's already an addict. And, of course, I'll tell you in just a minute. And so uh, it was my turn to do that. So I put my tourniquet on and fixed my drug shot myself. Tur tourniquet off there went that cockroach. I said, oh, my God, what is this? And it really threw me for a loop. And all of a sudden, the shower curtain, my legs are against my knees. I'm sitting on the toilet, not using it. And the Lord said to me, I knew it was Jesus. Don't ask me how I knew it. I just knew it was him. He said, Michael, your life's going down the toilet. I said, yes, sir, I realize that. Then I got kind of, you know, he softened my heart by talking to me. And all of a sudden, the shower curtain disappeared, and it was like one of these PowerPoint deals, and it showed me in a movie. I was the lead guy as a little kid growing up. Different events that went through my life that marked me as a kid, impartations. And none of it was good, unfortunately. And then it just went off the screen, and, and he said to me, Michael, go home. Now, you know, I'd already died in July of that year. This is October the same year, what, five months later or whatever that is. And I knew when he said go home, I'm not going to die right now. He meant go home to my mom and dad, and my mother was more the leader of the family. I'm not putting my dad down. He's a good man, moral, loved God. Loved me. I was his stepson, if you want to call it that, but I felt included uh, as part of his life. And anyway, so <laughs> go home. So I felt like it, it just bothered me that the Lord told me that in a sense. So I knew I was going to have to call my mom and have to go home to her because I already told you why. You remember? All my friends are drug addicts. Most of my friends carry weapons. <laughs> Some of the girls carry weapons. It's just like the Wild West when you get out there so far. It doesn't start like that, but it becomes that. You know, if you've got $10,000 worth of drugs on a table and everybody's packing in a room and somebody pulls the gun, somebody's going to get shot. And maybe all of us would have got shot. I don't know. I just was never in a gun battle at close range like that. And I was so thankful that God got me through that. Anyway, I went back home to my mom. First of all, I came back out of the bathroom. 
since I'm the last one to shoot up, they're all in there in the living room, and they're just thinking they're having a big time. Their head's off. You know, their head's not off their head, off, but you know, their head's going with that drugs going through them. Yeah. I said, I'm going home tomorrow. And they, they started cussing me. We're gonna, and then I said, well, I don't care what you guys think. I said, you've been my best friends for three years. I would have defended you to the death if it took that. You should know that of me. But I can't live with you anymore. I started to cry. <laughs> I said, I can't live like this anymore, guys. i got to get away from you. I don't dislike you, but I can't live with you because I'm too weak. You know, I just went through a lot of changes. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. I'm not bragging about any, not trying to act like a hot shot. I was not a shot at all. I was just going to die if I didn't stop that. But I had nobody in my recollection that was normal that I'm going to go ask them, can I live in your house? Can I sleep in your basement? Can I sleep in your garage or whatever? I just knew nobody normal like that. So I was talking to them, and boy, they got hot mad. They said, we're all going to stand up and shut you up if you don't stop that. I said, well, you can try. Maybe you can stop me, but that's not the point. I said, I met God in the bathroom in there. They looked at me like I was an alien, but I wasn't. I'd had an experience in that bathroom. And I came home, and within six weeks, I went to a church meeting with this girl that I thought I kind of liked, and that's when that preacher said, I want you to bow your head and ask God if you really know him. And I did, and you know, God said, no, you don't know me. You just know about me. And he said this, he said at the end, but if you'll come forward tonight, I'll put your life back together. Amen. And I got up and walked the aisle, just like you're supposed to do when you, God deals with you. And he took me like I was. He didn't say, now stop doing those drugs and doing something. He just, he received me. Amen. I remember the next weekend I went to pick this girl up. Her dad didn't trust me at all. I can understand why, because my mother was in the same church that her parents were in. And she would bring me up in prayer meetings. Somebody pray for Michael. You know, he's a drug dealer and a drug addict. And he's going to kill somebody or get shot. And her dad heard all that, you know, in a prayer meeting. And so I want to date his daughter. And he's not too happy. And so I had a daughter too, eventually. And I understood that completely. Yeah. So, you know, daddy's got a special thing for their daughters. I want to protect them. Anyway, I came back home and I, I, I began, I, and so she, I came to get her the next weekend. She met me at the door, didn't even let me in. Here's your Bible, get out of my life. Don't call me, don't drop by, I don't want to see you. I said, okay. And I left. It didn't bother me. I just, you know, I'm just trying to get things together. I mean, know what I'm saying. I mean, you know what? Jesus helped me through the whole process. Now, my friends, they just got tired of seeing me coming because they knew I was going to witness to them. And they said, please don't come to our parties anymore. You're such a drag. Stop that. Just leave us alone. I said, well, I'm trying to introduce you to what we were looking for. Because they said, well, we hear you go to church. I said, I do, but that's not the issue going to church. The issue is Jesus Christ and letting him come into your life. I was witnessing some, uh, some uh, who was at the... Well, you were there, Pastor Hernandez, the other day. Him and his wife took him to my tailor. You know, the guy that does my clothes. Didn't do all my clothes, but we did his coat. Nice coat, thank you. Put my name in it. I didn't ask for that either. <laughs> and they're, what are they, Hindus? Yeah, we were talking to me, and they said, well, we, you know, every group has their God. I said, my God lives inside me. Yours doesn't. Is he inside you now? No. The guy, no. I said, well, that's what the difference is in Christianity. God comes to live in you. 
And he helps you to live the life you need to live. I've been witnessing to them. They don't ever shut me down. They're not rude. They like me. I like them. They're just in a different mindset, you know. They go to the temple. Anyway, I'm just talking to you. Hallelujah. Why don't you stand up with me a minute and see where we go. Maybe the ushers could move this for me in the little table. Thank you for joining us today. To view Dr. Jacob's travel itinerary, order products, and more, please visit cotrin.org slash mjm.